welcome, welcome, welcome. Here we are at the tipping point. Yeah. It is November 28th, 2018. We're in Kingston, New York, recording here at the People's Empowerment Project Studio. Yeah, it's a real studio. It's getting there. And uh, today... Still have white walls. We need to decorate this room. Yeah, we need a little soundproofing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're getting there. We're going to have a sound guy eventually, right? Who never talks. Thanks, Steve. Um, and we today we are here with, as always, Matt Edge, whoop, whoop, activist founder of the People's Empowerment Project, coffee roaster extraordinaire, but also today with us, back again, returning champion, yeah. Becca Wild is here. Hello, I'm here to offer a lady's perspective on politics. <laughs> Becca Wild, who I'm going to say is, and so a, much more. is a writer, a rabble rouser, and activist, comedian, Oh, Jesus Christ, that's a lot to live up to. So much, and, and apparently a woman. Oh, I am a woman. I am a woman. Great. That is correct. Hey, we, we're... You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> hey, we're almost about the balance of Congress right now. Everybody's really? like saying this we're blue about, wave. We're about one to two at this point, so <laughs> get ready. Yeah. Well, Becca's worth at least two. That's true. Okay, so, and today, I'm not going to really explain this. I'm going to set it up, and then Matt's going to explain a little bit. The overall theme here today is this thing, uh, plutocracy, plutocracy, right? That's how you say it? Plutocracy? Plutocracy? Yep. A government ruled by the wealthy. Okay. Well, well, let's get a bigger definition. But plutocracy to democracy. That's kind of the big theme word. We're going to do a couple things in this episode, but that's kind of the big idea. And Matt, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, I mean, there's nothing... No better way to talk about plutocracy than just talk a little bit about what's going on in the news. California's on effing fire. People are dying. All, all of it. Right. <laughs> all of California. It seems like right. it. It does seem like it. Um, I hear it's just the hills. It's. We have serious. Sorry, we should. We have a serious climate issue, and yeah. uh, we can't really deal with it because of money and politics. Boom. Uh, plutocracy. Uh, immigration. NAFTA shoved down our throats by a bunch of corporate interests, and now we have an immigration crisis. Um, it's one of my favorite things. One of my favorite things to talk about is the whole how NAFTA destroyed a lot of small farmers in Mexico, and then they came up north, and we're like, ah, go back to Mexico. Anyways, but wait, hold on. Let's back it up. Wait, let's let's define plutocracy a little clearer again. It's simply a government ruled by the wealthy. Government ruled by wealthy. Sounds slightly familiar. Sounds I mean, it's, it's what we live in. <laughs> it's what we live in. I mean, what, is, what, is the, what are the numbers? It's like 98%, 99% of the time the candidate with the most money wins. Like everyone focuses on the anomaly in that instance. Oh, this person didn't, you know, didn't have money. So is plutocracy, is that like equatable with like corporate rule? Yeah. Essentially, it's, it's corporate rule, and it, we and it's like a it's like close to oligarchy too, because there's a bunch of these terms that people throw out a lot. Because I remember there was that Princeton study that said like, oh, by the way, guys, you're not a democracy anymore. That study, the, the Princeton North, and North I don't Western. know if we are. I think there's a lot of questions around that, and I think we're going to talk about some of that. But I think that more and more corporate rule is sort of the name of the game these days. Yeah, just going back to that the the the, the Princeton oh, the Northwestern study? study. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That that was like the academic proof. They it was the biggest social science, political science study of its kind. Hundreds of researchers, major budget, and do you know the study, Becca? I think I read an article about it once. Yeah, thank you. so you're an expert like all of us, uh, <laughs> just like everybody. Several years ago, but th what they were testing for was whether there was a correlation 
between public opinion and what actually passed. Yeah, I remember. Thinking I had... If it was more popular, it'd be more likely to pass. If it was less popular, it'd be less likely to pass. Nuh-uh. If a very small number of people with lots of money like it, then it happens. Yeah, Ooh. and then they, and then they they tested to see if there was a correlation between how much money was spent for a specific policy and whether it would pass, and it was like a perfect correlation. Yeah. So that's that's what's that's what's deciding what passes and what doesn't. So money is the name of the game. Exactly. Yeah. Boom. Okay. So. Uh, well, before we get more into the money thing, because that, that's what this episode is going to be about, right? It's going to be about money. It's going to be talking about crowdfunding. Yeah. yeah, where money comes from, some of the existing system of um, you know legal uh, corruption, right? It's kind of legal corruption. Yeah. Um, and then sure. crowdfunding, small donor. We're going to talk about that. But let's talk a little bit more. Uh, let's get some hot takes. We uh, The migrant caravan, Becca, you wanted to talk about that a bit, right? This is like a big news story. Yeah. It's been in the news a, a lot. A direct symptom of our plutocracy, the migrant caravan. Boom. This migrant caravan coming up from Central America, basically warfare that's being waged against them at the border, and there are there are you know canisters of tear gas being thrown at them. Um, really striking photos of some of the stuff that's yeah. happening. I've seen. It's really upsetting. Like, this is not an anomaly. Oh, this is not new. So there's a nor were the baby jails. No, yeah. Like nor was the deportation. None of this discrimination against Central Americans is in any way a uniquely Trump phenomenon. You know, I will say, yeah, the deportations. I, I was always struck by that. I taught that over and over again where I was like, oh, my God, Obama deported more people than George W. Bush did. Yeah. Still a it's huge like a human issue. Right. There's a and major global crisis going on. We still need to be absolutely outraged and wanting to do things about this. So great. Okay. So we're glad that liberals are up in their shit about, like, being mad about this right now. But at the same time, what happens when we get another liberal president elected? We just don't care again? Mm. Like, well, and, and also, can, well, we you get, know? can we get a president who's elected who actually represents people? I mean, I think that they're all sort of corporate sellouts at this point, so, and they're all just receiving this money from sources that, you know, we don't know that are very uh-oh. invisible to us. I hear you money. Know? That's the magic so, word of the day. So I have a question. Ding, 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 ding. Right now, you guys have heard that stat, that, that there's more refugees right now than any time since world war two yeah how much would you say of that is attributable to plutocracy globally sure i think it's attributable to global warming which has absolutely contributed to um the maldistribution of wealth on the planet but honduras and el salvador is like two of the major regions people are coming from these are two places that are directly they were destabilized and their cultures and their institutions destroyed by American involvement. By American corporate and, and, involvement. And not popular. These are not popular. Like El Salvador, like that conflict, what we did in the 80s in El Salvador, that was not popular. People weren't like, I really need that to happen. That was not a popular It was surreptitious. Policy. It was hidden. Well, yeah. People didn't know about it. Priority. It wasn't blasted on social media the way the migrant caravan is at this time. But Honduras with the coup, I mean, that's more directly connected where it's, you know, that was under Obama. Speaking of Obama's yeah. plutocratic ways, sure. that's under that was under Obama and Hillary Clinton had a, had. I mean, d- to be real, the, the plutocratic problem stretches into the Democratic Party. Yes, like, it, it, deeply. Into which connects but into our last podcast, which yeah. is can the Democratic Party be saved? What can we do to save it? Right. Which will get us again into money. But yeah, I mean, this is our involvement in Central America. Or our involvement in those countries with, like, you know, dirty tricks, CIA, you know, funding death squads, MS-13, which, again, I mean, that story of the founding of MS-13 is insane. They MS-13 came out of the American prison system and ghettos in Los Angeles, and we exported people back to El Salvador. We exported hardened felon prisoners 
from America back to El Salvador before they had a police force, and it destabilized the country, and they took over the country. Those are people from America. Those are people from our system of injustice that destabilized that country. And Honduras, I mean, the invasions of those countries over and over and over again by American forces, this is our history of involvement, and that is not that's not popular democracy. People have never said, we need to invade Honduras again, unless right. they're whipped up by you know nationalist sentiment and insanity. But for the most part, those are plutocratic national security like corporate interests doing that right well in the most recently with honduras i mean those were right the coup in honduras was propagated by right-wing corporate interests and it was time for the united states to be like absolutely not and support the center-left government in honduras and they you know issued a lukewarm statement condemning it they, they could have exerted a lot of power we're not right. going to trade with you. They could have said, we're not going to uh, do business. We're going to cut off diplomatic relationships with the military coup government. They refuse. And now we're wondering why all these people from Honduras are coming here. Okay, so let's talk about plutocracy. So one of the big things that we know about why all this is happening is because giant piles of money, right? Giant piles of money, flooding politics, an elite controlling the process, a corporate elite, a uh, bureaucratic elite. Um Huge piles of money, and we know that. We have those numbers, right? I mean, just for 2018, the numbers aren't <laughs> – they're not great, the amount of money. I see right here that it's $1.3 billion was raised by super PACs for 2018, a Jeez. billion dollars. That's awful. And they spent $818 million. So that means they then they're still sitting on the $400 million, these super PACs that are like – they're not a candidate. They're just a big pile of money from big, rich people who are trying to sway things. Uh, did you guys see Super PAC ads? Did you see Super PAC ads? Oh, yeah. I've seen them. I mean, I've heard that they had an inordinate effect over the Democratic primary nomination of Hillary Clinton. Oh, boy. And I definitely have concern about the upcoming nomination to happen. And what can we do to prevent that as people who really maybe only have the ability to donate $2 on our debit card, you know? Well, let's go into some of the numbers, right? So we have, we obviously, we don't really have to retrace Citizens United, and we don't have to really talk about, like, oh. People know people we live don't. in a plutocracy. We don't need to talk about that. I mean, okay. like. So let's talk – Let's talk. Well, well, there's still giant piles of money being raised. The Super PAC ads, obviously, like, hey, the Super PAC ads against Antonio Delgado, our new congressman. Oh, my favorite anti-Delgado Super PAC ad, just as a total, like, a side tangent. Yeah. And uh, feel free to whip me into shape. No, let's, let's do some <laughs> riffing on it. Let's do it. Antonio Delgado is an African-American, for those who don't know. The ads that I was seeing online were a picture of him looking sort of with, like, a wrinkled suit, like, kind of, like – Disheveled. Kind of disheveled and mm. – and and then the ad said Delgado is, and then it was blank with a black yeah. black background. I saw that, <laughs> dude. Those are, it just it was as just in like, Delgado is black. They didn't write, they didn't <laughs> because black. he is. They didn't write black. There was just a black background, and it was simply an ad that was just like a picture of a black man in a disheveled looking suit that said Delgado is with black background. Yeah, By the way, like, is my computer not loading? Is there supposed to be words? No, there? Matt. He's that, just black. Is that really the level that they've actually stooped to? I mean, by oh, the way, I, well, I, it was, I, I, I and it didn't up, work. I looked up whose money that was. Remember, we talked about this on a forum podcast. Yeah. I looked up whose money that was. The main money behind that super PAC was a mega church in Florida. It was white Christian evangelicals from Florida Man. spending tons of money to attack him. You know, where like, are the liberal organizations funding those kind of ads in, like, Texas to get O'Rourke in? You know what I mean? Like, should we be stepping up that game? I because, know, like, I think the Christian you know, left is ascendant. I just feel like everywhere you look, you have these groups from, like, different 
different not only states but like countries like paying for these like attack ads on liberal candidates in New York. Should liberals not just play that same dirty game and go into races like the O'Rourke race in Texas and more? And should we not find ways of funding, you know, ads that are going to further the liberal cause? God forbid that liberals play hardball a little bit. Well, I don't know about liberals. I've got a thing with the word liberal. Well, <laughs> you say what you will. Anti, fine. Anti-Trumpists. Progr- I like progressives. People, you know. Everyone hates liberals. Anti-Trump including people. Including people who most people would identify people as People who believe oh, in fucking democracy. Shots. You know what I mean? Like, we don't have to say liberal, but you know yeah. what I mean. No, like I know, people, of course I know what you mean. Yeah. You know, people who don't support the Trump regime. Let's there put it that Let's way. Put all you know what I mean? Vote. Like, okay. non-supporters of totalitarianism in right. the United States. Is that good enough? <laughs> so I identify like, as a non-supporter okay. of totalitarianism. I'm personally a non-supporter right. of N-S-O-T. totalitarianism. N-S-O-T. So can we not all band together here? You know what I mean? Well, that kind like, of brings us to the next topic, which is like, all right, so we live in a plutocracy, a government ruled by consolidated wealth. How do we deal? And what's being done and what's being done effectively? Sure. And, and one of the traditional takes has been we need to go out and take a bunch of money from big you know, corporate sources. Right. And Democrats have done that. They've done it a lot. Chuck Schumer and Christian Gillibrand have taken huge amounts of money from Wall Street. Nancy Pelosi has taken a lot of money from Wall Street and other sources. They, it's become the norm, right? It's become that's what you have to do if you're going to survive. But we have some people who say, okay, I'm not going to do that. Wait, are we okay with that? Well, no. I mean, it's, it's, it's why the Democratic Party has been. And why? What, what, what do you say to the skeptics who say they're just being double agents, that they're like they're good guys on our side? And they're just going to the Wall Street and the real estate industry, getting their money, and then they're really going to go turn around and do the right thing. What do you say to those people? Yeah, well, I, <laughs> yeah, maybe a little too late for them. Naive, that's what I say. Maybe slightly naive of them. Oh man, yeah, no. I, well, that's hey, because there's a dependency created. Well, and that's that's a little bit what happened with uh, Antonio Delgado. I mean, he he was a good fundraiser. And hey, right. I'm, now I'm, we can talk about it. Now I'm, I'm like, saying oh, shots fired, geez. and I, I hope I can get this podcast to him because I do want our congressman to prove that he is the right kind of Democrat. And he took a lot of money from places that are not exactly the best places. Well, it Which, wasn't like, like, so did his, op- his opponent? Like, yes <laughs> yeah, or no? Exactly. Like, I- Ironically. Did they not get some money from the same places? The, the lobbying firm that Delgado used to work for, where a huge amount of the money from his campaign came from, donated to FASO in the previous election. So are you yeah, saying that we had some of the same people who funded FASO funding Delgado? Yep. What does that say about the situation that we find ourselves in? Yeah, well, and let's talk about 2018 right real quick, just a number to drop in there, that when you look at who actually dropped money into the 2018 cycle into these super PACs, sure, there's the people who are really, like, just on one side, like Las Vegas Sands, which is the Sheldon Adelsons, right? He's a conservative. But then there's people like Chevron Corporation who give money to both sides, or banking industry, Citigroup, they give money to both sides. What interest does Chevron have in giving money to both sides? I know, it's weird. I wonder what they want to see happen. I mean, obviously, when you look at, like, the Congressional Leadership Fund in 2018, that is for Republicans, it's conservative, they do have more oil. They got Valero, Houston Texans, Chevron Corp. They have a lot of oil in their in their portfolio, right? But Democrats have a lot of banking and a lot of tech as well, which is not exactly great. So, okay, so let's but get – We've got a lot of liberal That brings us to too. the invisible primary. Mm-hmm. And the way – I mean, if you actually look to the mechanism by which corporate money controls controls the elections and controls our government is they create what Lawrence Lessig has, has called the invisible primary. 
It's where the the pool of candidates that we get to choose from, the the pool of quote unquote viable candidates, is pre selected by a group of funders, yeah. and we get to decide between their choices. And then enter Bernie Sanders, boom, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 sort of change that paradigm of saying actually, no, the little guy pooled together through social media can create the kind of funds needed to win. And there is one quarter, maybe two quarters, where he actually outraised the establishment candidate. Well, just I, I looked at some of the numbers. It was like $1.5 million in like the first day after he declared because he said he was going to be all small small numbers. He could have gotten that by doing two speeches or two like dinners with like corporate bankers, and he could have made that money. But instead, by saying, I'm not going to take that money, that money came to him naturally. That that money came from people who were like upset with the fact that we live in a bought democracy. So, and by the way, this and we can <laughs> we don't want to get into like we we want to talk about Bernie. We want to talk about Beto too and a couple other people. But <laughs> it's also it I think up Bernie's some dirt, out, you guys. I know Bernie's it brings up some out. bad stuff. Bernie's it brings up out. Some bad like, blood. Like, God forbid you overestimate people's abilities to get over the wounds of the 2016 election. Because guess what? I've tried. Oh so, so you know, when this thing happened and, like, Trump got elected, I was like, okay, at least one good thing is true right now. We don't have to it's debate. The wound that we keeps don't giving. have to debate about Bernie and Hillary anymore. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, that's over. And, nope. you know, little did I know that people are actually still children and are unable to get over all of the shots Dude. that the left fired at one another. It was basically a civil war within the left, and the wounds of that have still not been healed. There's still and people lying on the battlefield well, the with like a wounded gushing. knee. It's and like, well, I, we haven't even gotten to the healing I phase. had made the silly assumption that we were adults. Uh -oh. You know what, what I mean? I had, made, I had made the silly assumption so that we were adults. So what happened when you, so you posted something on Facebook? What did you post? Tell us a little bit about what happened. Well, I read an interesting article in The Atlantic that talked about how there were actually a great number of people and who wanted Bernie Sanders to run in 2020. I read it with an open mind and I posted that I might... Mm -hmm. uh, be interested in supporting him again in 2020 because I feel like we could possibly unite behind him. Um, you know, low, you know, it turned out that was not the case <laughs> and that, like, oh. I immediately instigated this horrible cat fight oh my God. of people just going as low as possible at one another, like, you know, basically being like, you know, Bernie is stupid. No, Hillary's stupid. No, Bernie's stupid. Well, and blaming you each, know? each one of the – blaming and, both of them And I was Trump. just like – I felt like the child of divorced parents, you know, and <laughs> I was just like, wow, you know, I was trying to put this behind me. Yeah. I was – you know, I was able to campaign for Bernie Sanders in the primaries and then vote for Hillary in the main election, you you know what I mean? Sure. Who who really was able to do that? And where are they now? And are they able to step forward and unite behind one candidate? Are we able to put our shit behind us? I mean, it definitely gives me pause. Like, you know, I'm really inspired by Bernie Sanders and what he did. And like, I feel like he's like one of the few politicians that I feel like are honest. And that means a lot to me. Blown away by his small donor revolution and, and what he did there. But I, I have to pause for a second and say, like, 
Well, does that just bring up too many wounds? You know, it sure. does. It well, does. And, and this is not necessarily about if Bernie should run in 2020, although it's an interesting question. But it is about small donor stuff. And I think that that is, for me, that was the crucible of why I supported Bernie. Because I, I, I spent a little bit of time looking at what happens when people give large amounts of money to political candidates. And it happens to be that it influences them. And Hillary Clinton, for me, it wasn't it, – it, it's not about – even like a stance she took as first lady, uh, you know, about crime, because the people are trying to ream her out for that and being like she wanted to imprison people for drug offenses. Be like, dude, that's she was first lady. OK, let's just chill out. Or like stuff she said when she, did she when uh, stuff she did when she was a senator. But just saying, no, in the short term, my problem with her is about money. It is mm -hmm. about it's not coming from crowdfunding. It's not coming from small donors. It's coming from giant piles of wealth that have an agenda. And that was my issue. So, okay, so well, let's not, well, let's back up. So let's Cut talk down. about, well, let's talk about at present the new name that came up with crowdfunding, which is Beto O'Rourke, right? He just raised $60 million for a Senate campaign in Texas, which is like crazy. And everybody commented about how it was so crazy. Wasn't we? But first, real quick though, didn't he raise that much money because everybody hates Ted Cruz? Wasn't that actually, the $60 million represents how much people dislike Ted Cruz? <laughs> Isn't that and what Donald that is? Trump, for that matter. I mean. Yeah, I think it was Cruz and Trump. Yeah, I think combined, I combined. think that, like, Kavanaugh, you know, situation, I think oh boy. donated tons of money to O'Rourke out of that desperation and out of that million. anger. $69 yeah. million. He spent $59 million. He's got $10 million. He also donated Cruz, from out he? of state. Oh, he – oh, Cruz didn't raise that much. And if you look at the number, you look at the breakdown, you know, they, they clump together the contributors. He got 365000 That's the largest clump from the University of Texas, which is mostly it's going to be professors, employees, um, union employees, that kind of stuff. I don't know if they lump students in there. But, you know, although number two, I will say, is Alphabet Incorporated. That is the parent company Google. of Google. So there is a bunch of tech money in there still. It's not like it's not happening. AT&T Incorporated gave him some money. But that's small donors, mm -hmm. right? That's small piles of money. It's not people. It might be people organizing people in their community to donate that money. Or it might be unorganized. But, Sorry, you, you know, Looking at Beto, just one quick aside is people may be asking themselves, like, all right, how can we be, like, so excited about Beto if he lost, right? I think – and correct me if I'm wrong. People – everyone in this room – He lost in Texas, man. You know, you got to cut we're, we're pragmatists, and, yeah, it was Texas, and, and, and we view what he did as a win. Like, the fact that he took a state – where every other candidate in his shoes got walloped by like what 10 20 30 points the fact that it was within a few two two or three points is is huge oh that, that um, for he, texas is enormous the yes. final number was it was 4,200,000 for cruz 50% 51 really 50 50.9 mm -hmm. 50. mm -hmm. to better o'rourke with 48.3% yeah. that's a giant that's success a that is that's crushing it because you went from like you know what a usual senate candidate and for Demo for a democrat is going to get like Drummed up a huge amount of grassroots support that has influenced other areas at this point, other elections. And he swung races in within Texas, down ballot races. Yeah. And, and I must say, like, as I'm looking at, you know, I have not decided where I am for 2020. Like, I think we do need to start thinking about everyone's like, oh, no, we shouldn't talk about, you know, the 2020 elections. No, actually, the movers and shakers need to be talking about it. We need to be thinking about it so we don't make the mis same mistake where we had the shit show that we had in 2016 where we had a divided party. We need to start thinking about now about how we can unite and we can do it under a, a small donor funded candidate. And I have to say, Beto O'Rourke is sort of, in my mind, kind of standing out like, whoa, checking the boxes. I can appeal to millennials. Boom. Can raise small donors like up the wazoo. Boom. 
makes Texas competitive? Because remember, Texas, for in a presidential election, might actually vote for Beto O'Rourke because he's like their own. He's like Texas's own. You know, like, like <laughs> they, they almost elected him for Senate and then they lost, tough, but, but yeah. they they made like he'd be competitive in Texas. He activated the grassroots network in Texas. I mean, I think or like exists now. <laughs> it exists, perhaps where it didn't exist before, and that can be tapped. You know what I mean? And well, yeah, I mean, the millennial thing is huge. I mean, the millennials surpass the boomers, and and they ha- they already have, and they're going to do it in a major way in twenty twenty. And so, you know, I don't know who I'm going to vote for in the in the primary. I'm going to wait and see. Well, we don't even know who's running yet. We don't know who's running. Let it be known. One of the things there are I'm, two candidates who are running who are both what, very interesting. Yeah, well, we should talk more about that. <laughs> but <laughs> we don't have one. To. One of the uh, the things that I'm looking for is who can appeal to millennials, and who can do the small donor thing. Okay, but let's talk about what that the reason that would be important, right? Let's say a Beto type. <laughs> I don't know if Beto type's good, but a Beto <laughs> a Beto candidate who does crowdfunding could take stances that actually go it, it's like it, it'll fight against the Princeton study and say, "Oh, I can because the majority of people want to protect the environment." Right. It's like 70 80% of people want to pre- protect the environment when they ask right. get asked questions about that. So he could actually say, "We're going to protect the environment because the majority of people like that." Instead of having to like, I will say, Hillary Cl- Hillary Clinton and Al Gore, two people who I was like, "Well, I hope they win because the option's terrible." Yeah. Who both lost because they didn't talk about the environment. They thought it wasn't going to be a good win, but also because they were taking a bunch of big money from people who were like, don't really talk about that. Don't really talk about climate change. It's not a great win for you to talk about how, you know, climate change is the thing. Corporations don't really like, you know, carbon taxes, blah, blah, blah. So it, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. And, that, and that's the big misnomer. Like a lot of times people see, hear the candidates say, I'm not going to take corporate money. And, you know, I'm all doing the small donor thing. And they think it's like a purity thing. Yeah. And and that it's it's like oh it's horrible politics they're gonna lose it's a purity thing no actually by not being beholden to the corporate interests it frees candidates up to campaign on the things that people actually care about that the other candidates because they're beholden to the corporations can't campaign on but will and, those and small then, donors ever add up to what the corporations can offer yes <laughs> and more on that these candidates then can that are are, are running on the small donor money. Can, can talk about these things that appeal to more people and they can say the things that will activate the 50% of the population that's not voting because they're so cynical because the system is so corrupt. Only a, only a small donor candidate can really get that trust level up to get that that, that huge pot of non-voters out there. And you just get 2 or 3% of that, that pool of non-voters and we're talking tsunamis. We're talking surges of voters. Because it's such a delicate balance. Yeah, and and a little quick revisit on some stuff about 2016. It's like Hillary raised. It was. Uh, it, this is saying it's over. What is it? Oh my god, it's a huge amount of money. She almost raised a uh, 973 million dollars. That's crazy. That's it's almost crazy. a billion. Trump 646 million, and that's one of the reasons. There's a bunch of conservatives out there who liked Trump. 
because he said over and over again, I'm not going to go kiss people's ass and ask him for money because I don't need the money. He was He's bullshitting, and he's a liar because he did take their money, and he is influenced he's by it. And Super PACs did. Yeah. yeah, total con artist. But he it was honest in the sense that he was not compared to Clinton. But that was a compelling message. It was an effective message. It was a compelling message. message. It was yeah. kind of bullshit, but there was a little bit of truth to yeah. it in the sense that he was he knew that he could ride the coattails of CNN constantly so covering all this people are fed up uh, by corporations, both left and right, yes. and we're seeing that theme. So Trump sort of appealed to that fed up, you know, emotion that even yeah. Republicans are feeling right now with these corporations taking over our government. <laughs> so, but okay, but this does bring up this brings up the bigger issue of what it's like to be a human in a system that is either funded by corporations and big pile of money or you constantly are being hit up for money all the time. Which like us who bit. can barely make $15 an hour <laughs> and crazy. we're the ones responsible for getting these people like funded. Yeah. Like, like why is it up to us to financially save democracy when like, we have no fucking money? <laughs> You know, like a half an hour on the internet, you know, you get hit up by like maybe 15 really, you know, respectable, you know, places asking you for donations. Which is Whether it's a cause, whether it's like print news, whether it's a campaign. Yeah. I just had had a friend. I just had a friend say I need money to finish a uh, recording for an album. I had the American Refugee Committee just send me an envelope. I had uh, a Veterans Association call me. It's um, not that the will is not there. I yeah. mean, damn, if I had a thousand extra bucks, <laughs> of course but I would give five dollars to every person who asked me. Right. You know no, what I mean? No, that's all valid. And that's like, you know, <laughs> really underscores why we need clean elections, publicly funded elections. But like just to play devil's advocate for a second, the amount of money that it takes to fund these elections it sounds like a huge amount of money, but when you divide it among the amount of people that live here, it's actually not that much money. Like public financing of elections would cost each taxpayer about a penny a day. You know, Bernie was able to outraise Hillary Clinton with average donations of what was it, like nineteen dollars or something like that. Yeah. So it's it's like yeah, twenty bucks is a lot, but like if it actually means that. You but have a functioning democracy, average... you can get universal health care. It may actually be a really good investment. Well, then how does your average millennial know where to put that $20 if they're being hit up 15 times a day? Because they listen to good, good podcasts like us. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so then where the do I put point. that $20? If I only have $20 a year to donate, where do I donate that to? I gave to Stacey Abrams last time. Okay, I mean, so candidates. Candidates are the place to give, you're saying. Candidates or, hey, um, perfect time for a, a democracy coffee break. Through uh, <laughs> that coffee. Trip, yeah. trip, trip. Give to <laughs> democracy coffee by drinking it. Well, okay, so, okay, yeah, I'm with you on the exhausting part. Well, I think it, it does make it. It's a little bit of like a – it's a weird like gambling slash consumerism thing. Like I think the overall <laughs> effect on the American people having to be like I have to figure out where to give this money to make sure that everything doesn't go bad is exhausting. But it's a really good investment. We see that with corporations. They spend $100,000 and they get a million-dollar subsidy. It's like tenfold gangbusters money back to them. And if we invest a small amount of money – and actually win, which is the problem because Bernie and Beto, they did not win. But um, if we actually win, they with both that, won in their own right. Yes. <laughs> Let's tell ourselves that so we're not crushed. <laughs> but but the investment is small. If we invest $10 and then we get something like Medicare for all, 
or we get clean elections, that the bene- that we're in reality going to get a huge benefit back. So I think that would be the kind of the argument for I, – I think the individual impact of like it's exhausting. It feels draining. We don't have the money. Why is it up to us to do this? Okay, and, and, your, and your argument, Matt, is, is saying the reason that this crowdfunding would be important is so we can get to public financing of elections or get better democracy but we so that we don't realistic. have to do this. Yeah, right now we live in a system where literally – the amount of money spent on something determines whether or not it passes or fails. So we need to come up with ways to collectively pool our money smartly. Hundreds and hundreds of candidates in 2018 got elected on this small donor thing. It's working. Um, it, it's working all across the country. And it's a new form of politics. And while, yes, it's, it's hard, you know, it's worth, you know, maybe not having that second drink or whatever at the bar. We're like five dollars to to a Senate candidate pooled with a lot of other people actually can swing elections, and that's what we're seeing. And so I think in a system where it's was controlled by money, we need to utilize these tactics and come up with clever ways to communicate with each other. And like what what we're doing with Democracy Coffee is trying to create a brand that is doing that on a on a sustainable long-term way that has growth built into it and so that's a whole other discussion i don't want to turn this into a democracy coffee ad but that's the thing okay so, so but so to, to paraphrase you're saying if we're smart and strategic in the next two years with a candidate who is being funded by small donors we have the ability to have a democratic party that actually represents people's interests and then we I think have it's the, the only way and yeah, and then we have the ability to potentially win an election because it actually it would be a candidate speaking to the masses about what they what they right. want. And maybe a populist progressive democratic candidate. Yeah. Better O'Rourke, maybe? Isn't there a woman? Yeah. Isn't there a woman? There's I a wish, bunch of women. I wish better there's O'Rourke some was a women. Woman. Where are the yeah. women? Well there's there's Tulsi Gabbard, there's Kamala Harris, there's Kirsten Gillibrand. Hey, everybody's talking trash, but Elizabeth Warren has a better track record of studying poverty and studying corruption and attempting to do something about it than anybody else in the though? Senate. Do you think I don't know. I don't think she's electable. Do you think, no, sadly. I, just, I worry about the dynamics of her and Trump debating. Like it just Doesn't, yeah, it, it wouldn't look good. I just feel like Trump is like a, the the master of getting under people like Elizabeth Warren's skin, and like his base gets off on it, and it's like. I just, I, that just Which is why I was originally out. even reposting that Atlantic article about Bernie Sanders because it was talking about how Republicans really underestimate his ability to get elected at all. Yeah. So, But I've rejected that by now because I've realized that Hillary voters cannot get behind Bernie Sanders and please don't overestimate them. They And, you know, they will not be able to. Um, so let's please it's not really overestimate them. That's a sad point. Yeah, it's absolutely true, and we cannot just disregard that. We have to take that into serious consideration. Let's see where the small donations conglomerate. That's what I'm looking at. I genuinely am concerned about the rhetoric that was with Bernie and Hillary traveling into the 2020 campaign, and that there's going to be a lot of people who the the discussion is not going to be positive amongst the left. It's really going. There's going to be still about new candidates a lot of venom. I mean, I already know people who say if you support. Beto O'Rourke, he's a white guy. And if you support Beto O'Rourke as a white guy, you are basically doing nothing to end the patriarchy and you're a total sellout. I, that's already And out there. for this reason, the left may not win. Yeah. Trump may be reelected. Yeah. And because of the division happening in the left, it may absolutely happen again. But who of all the that's, – that's the, that's the, like, the million-dollar question is 
who of all the people that we're considering, or maybe the people we're not considering, best bring together the various coalitions? I yeah. think Beto O'Rourke is a good shot. I think he's, he's could be he's one of the better perfect, shots. Nobody's perfect. Are we appeal? waiting around for someone perfect? No. <laughs> Some people not. are. They have they have purity tests. Although the, this goes back to the crowdfunding. I mean, I think my argument would be that person has to be a crowdfunded person. Yeah. That that is that is that that's, is a test for me. That's a hard test. And I it's a hard test to say that they are mostly running with small donations and they're not taking corporate money. I think. Because well, because when you get into like the identity politics, when you get into like individual stances on individual issues, it gets messy. Because you know it's just dividing in- inherently. I mean, yes, that's the problem I mean, with the identity politics. To go with a basic progressive economic platform and a let's not be racist bigots platform, because I think we can all agree, I'm like let's just not do that, and then say I'm taking money from small uh, from small funding, uh, small crowdfunding donations, and I'm looking to have cleaner, better elections in the future that are more democratic. That could work. Yeah. That could work. I think – I mean it would even sway some of those independents who do look at Trump and see them as less of a sellout. And there's a real reason that they see Trump as less of a sellout than Clinton, that they keep comparing those two. Because the reality is Hillary took huge amounts yeah. of money, and she was more of an insider than Trump. That is true. They, You know, her being a Washington insider is like, yeah, it's kind of a dirty attack. Okay, a Washington insider. It's like a coded word, but it is true. She knew more people with more money who – were involved in politics than Trump did. Trump knew a lot as of people will, with money. As will probably any female con- candidate because, you know, they come <laughs> after this legacy of, like, men doing that for centuries and getting away with it. And yeah. then you're the first woman who ever does it, and you face more criticism than any uh, man has ever faced before so because you have a vagina. Ugh. So ridiculous. Too bad, huh? It's so ridiculous. So if we are looking to have a female president one day, guess what? Those same criticisms are going to come back in yeah. in maybe an even bigger way if we don't do something about the sexism inherent in this country. Yeah. Boom. So goodbye, Kamala Harris. Goodbye, Kirsten Gillibrand. Goodbye, any female candidate that you have your eyes set on because they're going to have to come up against that sexism. Still there. I don't know. I think I think, I think think a, a female candidate is advantageous in, in 2020 in this political climate. I mean... They're going to deal with the same sexism I'm that Hillary dealt with. I'm not saying they're not going to deal with obscene and immense amounts of, of sexism but i think we'll win but we well um, well we know that <laughs> if the right candidate comes out but i'm I'm just kind of cringing at all of our options <laughs> like of like who are like who the who the who the who the media is telling us are our options it's gonna be a mess and let's say that telling us <laughs> but okay i like it. tulsi gabbard but I, oh i love tulsi. talking about her like yeah she's a, she's a badass a vet she's an iraq war vet who criticizes Obama and Trump and both parties she, on foreign policy and on economic stuff. She's, she's, really she's on the cusp of the Gen X millennial generation. I mean, her age, she's she's a woman of color. I mean, it's just like there's a lot going for her. I think I could see a huge groundswell behind her, but I'm not seeing it. And, and I really like that she, as vice chair of the DNC, let go of all the power and connections that she had with that because she felt like the DNC was doing foul play, which they were endorsing Hillary when they're supposed to be the umpire. And she was like, Nope, I'm can't be a part of this. This is unethical. And she, as a young rising star, basically told the leadership, like 
no, I don't want to have any part of this corruption. And she, she went out and endorsed Bernie after resigning as the vice chair of the DNC. I think we should try to figure out, though, here's the positive thing. Here's the, here's the positive silver lining stuff. Is the podcast ending? Is that the music well, coming? No, we can talk a lot more. We could, <laughs> no, but, just kidding. But I think, I think that we – let's talk about the positive things, right? Let's see what's, what's the tipping point. What can we do? Yeah, where's the tipping point here? This could be the first presidential election where somebody who is only taking small money and not – Bowing down to corporations might win. Yeah. And if, if they win, does that mean we can actually begin everything. to make drastic change? Then we can start talking about a Green New Deal. That, that's, the, that's the hope. That's the moonshot. That's the dream. And who cares? It's just like whoever can raise money that in a non-corrupt way and say things that don't make me want to gouge my ears yeah. out, then like, uh, cool, let's just all get behind him and fucking do it and beat yeah. him. Well, and then I'm just going to say, so there is a thin, glimmering trail of hope towards a small donor, crowdfunded, democratic candidate who represents people, who beats Trump, and who actually is a representative of the people, right? In 2020, yeah. that's the hope, that's the dream, and that's what we're going to work for for the and, next two years. And the tipping point. And we would encourage the listeners at the tipping point, when you're looking at who you're going to support in the, at the 2020 in the Democratic primary, check out their, their small donor fundraising and keep an eye on that. I think that's a really important indicator. And buy democracy coffee. Which is always out there on shelves. I bought some today, picked it up at a local location. Oh, I love you know? I love the design. It smelled great. I'm excited to roast it. Which Not kind, roast it. Which kind did you get? I don't know. It's the one with money on it. <laughs> uh, I think I got Honduran. The, the penny. Yeah, because the I was thinking about Honduras. Corruption at bay. I was thinking about Honduras. Um, and uh, yeah, so go out there, buy Democracy Coffee, out there working to get elections clean. And uh, check back with us soon. We're going to have a new episode out at some point soon. It'll be great. Thank you, Becca. Becca, you're great. Thank you for being here. Anytime. And Matt, as always, the real mover and shaker behind all this. Thank you, John. Bye, folks.